Yo, welcome back to another episode of On The Spot Sports. I'm Jack, and I'm along with... Tyler from On The Spot Sports. And today, in this episode, we got my guy, DJ Gino G. What's going on, fellas? How you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. I'm hyped yeah. today. I'm excited. Yeah, no problem. It's been a work in the progress, in the process for a while now, and finally good to get you back on, or get you on. It has, it has. We, uh, you've been doing some stuff helping me with like graphic design stuff, and then obviously worked for the Bandits in the summer. So it's been, uh, you know, steady, steady getting here. Yeah, for sure. So how's a uh, quarantine going for you? I mean, it, it's it's had its ups and downs. So before quarantine, I uh, I was finished up my master's at DePaul, and I had this real big plan to kind of finish a semester early, go get a job, go move out, stuff like that. And literally, like, the week after, I think I got my official degree, world ended. So, kind of stuck right now. And uh, a lot of free time, though, for different things. A lot of video games. Making DJ mixes, trying to get myself out there. I had a real big burly beard up until last week. I mean, this thing was just gross. Like, you could probably find people living in there at some point. Chopped it off last week, and I was like, now I'm disappointed. I'm like, all right, I want my beard back. <laughs> but otherwise, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I'm I'm keeping this until after quarantine because I'm not seeing anyone. So yeah, exactly. My hair has never been this long in my life, probably since seventh grade. Like I'm Mister Barbershop every other week, line up the beard. This is this is just like I think this is my hell. If they said you can't go to a barber shop for two months, I think that's hell. That's mine. And uh, you always you always showed up to the summer with the, that clean haircut, clean. Oh, the cut. fresh, the freshest of fades. Uh, you know, I, Tyler, so we worked together this summer and we had to have like two different shirts for um, like staff shirts. And after one week, me and my one buddy Colby were like, it's going to be like 90 degrees next week. Let's just cut the sleeves off. Didn't tell our boss. So I had a cut off for every other day of work. Just <laughs> sun's out, guns out. Had to get that tan, you know, can't have tan lines out here. It was, we had some hot, we had some hot games too this summer. So yeah. no tan lines, fresh haircuts, hot commodity the, over there. The one out in the field too, the, the cameras. Mr. Uh, Mr. Third base side was my, was my duty. I'll never forget. It was like the second game. I, a pop-up came right at me and I dropped it and I, I, I wanted to quit. I was like, I have to get another, I didn't get another ball till right before the playoffs and I caught it. Thank God I caught that ball. That that was an impressive catch. Didn't you get a round of applause for that catch? I did. That was it had some nasty backspin on it. So, you know, athlete over here. D three, D three. You redeemed yourself there though. Perfectly. No, that was a fun summer though. That's probably my most fun summer of work I've had. Yeah, same. Same by, by far. Cool. That was that was a good summer. It was. We met a lot of nice a lot of great people. I met you got you and like everyone else. Yeah, we definitely uh, – it was it was nice going to work every day, not thinking of it as, like, a real job where I was like, oh, man, I got to work today. You know what I mean? It was yeah. usually like, okay, sweet, I get to go to the Bandits for four or five hours, go hang out with my friends and go to work. Yeah, that was that was a time of life right there. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And then we went, we went to the beach uh, last last week of the season, I believe it was. That was also pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Some in, some intense games of spike ball, going down on that beach. I was uh, we met some girls. I was trying to get them to come to LA Social that night because I was DJing. That was a that was a good time. Oh, was that when I was there too? 
Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. it was it was us us TJ and, and Colby still there. Yeah, that was a that was a fun night or a fun day. We it got was, to get some spike ball attorneys going this summer as well. Oh, of course. So, uh, yeah, let's get. You want to get into your DJ DJing? Yeah, most definitely. You want to just kind of get going how it started and where it's been from there? Yeah, go for it. So I've like officially been DJing since I was about 15. And basically I told the brothers that were DJs at some point in their twenties and they had a little bit of leftover equipment, like speakers, stuff like that, a couple lights. So I just kind of took it. And before DJing, I used to be in a rock band, big, big rock star guy over here. And I was the singer and then my balls dropped. So I couldn't sing anymore. And I was like, damn, though, I kind of like the spotlight. You know what I mean? Like, entertaining is fun for me. Like, I like people. If I can put on a show, that's what I like doing. So I picked up DJing, and I invited all my friends from high school. I think I was a freshman or sophomore. And I was going to do a Halloween party. That was going to be my first, like, gig, seeing how I did. And all of two people showed up. And they stopped in for, like, 10 minutes. I was like, you guys don't have to stay. Like, no one's coming. But it was, it was devastating. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but over time, um, I just started DJing a lot of like birthday parties, a lot of block parties, things like that's where I started. I didn't even charge people at first. I had a tip jar. I literally said, I'll come DJ. Here's a tip jar. I'd, I'd come home with like 25 bucks, 30 bucks. And then slowly over high school, um, definitely the block parties, I could start charging more for upgraded my lights, my equipment, a lot of block parties. And then once I hit weddings, that's when I realized, okay, I think I could make some money off this and I'm starting to meet more people. So block parties, weddings through early college. Finally, there's this bar called Base Camp by my old college Benedictine. And it was junior year, right before I was 21. I was doing on-campus like dances we had once a month. And then someone recommended me to like the manager. And he's like, yeah, let you spend on a Thursday. I'll make a college night. And I knew this was like my shot. So I made it my thing to make sure everyone at Benedictine that could go. And even if you couldn't go, we'll try to sneak you in. Like I needed to show them, I can get people here and we're going to party. Cause what people don't realize is like when you first do gigs, a lot of it is, can you bring people in and who do you know? So the sad reality is like, I know a lot of good DJs at like sushi bars that are doing like happy hour. And I know a lot of like mediocre DJs at some of the top clubs in river North. And it literally just comes down to networking. But um, anyway, yeah, like I said, that, that Thirsty Thursday, I did it once. We got it cracking. So then he had me come back once a month. Then that was every Thursday. Um, every Thursday was a little tough because, like, every DJ kind of has their niche and, like, certain songs they have go-to. Like, I switch it up, but, like, there's always certain songs I'm going to play. So every Thursday, you started kind of hearing the same thing. So I was like, ah, I want to tone it back to once a month, twice a month maybe. And then me and the, the manager, Bobby, he was cool with me. I knew he was going to, or he knew I was going to DePaul. So he was like, Hey, my buddy, like he manages the spot called LA social in Lincoln park. I know that's down by DePaul. I'll put you in contact if you want to start doing Thursdays, met them, kind of told them what I was doing. And then ever since then, once I got my first Thursday in the door in Lincoln park, it opened up river North Wrigleyville, whole strip of bars um, on the other side of Lincoln park. And it's, it's just been awesome. This last, I'd say two years now has been awesome like a gig at least once a weekend and like I'm in, it's nice being in a position where if you don't want to DJ one weekend you could say no like if you're making decent enough money so yeah it's just this last two years has been great as far as the thing but I like telling people where I start from 
tip jars to, to bottle service is a fun route. Because the reality is some, some dudes just got into DJing a year or two ago. They just met the right people, know the right people. I got one buddy. I mean, don't run. They're good at what they do. But they just met the right people at the right time. They're already in clubs that I haven't even done yet. But I like, you know, a little grittier. Just kind of – I'm like a road to the show player if you guys play on the show. Yeah, exactly. start off in start off in low a baseball and just i don't know I, I like the grind i like the grind so how long have you been doing this like from like the tip jars to like now uh tip jars started when i was right around 15 so i'm 24 i'm going on 10 years next year wow. sounds like we have sounds like we have to throw a party for that yeah. <laughs> sounds like an anniversary party yeah, I better be invited to that one. Of course, of course. We'll make sure we go all out for that one. Yeah, let's go. So, yeah, what, like, when you first started, uh, like, what what was that like to, like, now? Like, did you get, like, you got, you obviously got a lot more gigs, a lot more equipment. Like, what's your experience from, like, the start to, like, where you are now? So, definitely when I started, like, my my mixers have definitely advanced over time. Like, my first, my very first mixer was, $80 from Toys R Us. Like I couldn't even put headphones in it that I couldn't even listen to the next song coming up. I just had to just kind of look at the screen and just kind of fade it out, fade it in. I was more like a glorified jukebox when I was starting. It's so funny. Cause like literally to the right in my room right now, I can see the old tip jar. So there's just a Mason jar with duct tape around it. This is tips, but yeah, uh, it, it was kind of annoying at first because the reality was every time I made a little bit of money, I knew if I wanted to get the next step to be a legit, like, cause I wasn't doing clubs. Like I said, I was doing private events and to do private. I knew every time I made money, I'd have to spend, I'd have to put it back in. Cause I'd be like, all right, now I want matching speakers. Now I need an actual light bar. Now I need this. Now I need that. So for the first couple of years, it was like profit, but at the same time, it was every couple of gigs. I'm just putting it back into my equipment. Um, but I just, I just knew I was like, I had so much fun. I knew I'm not going to give this up anytime soon. So I had no problem investing. I was like, this is going to pay off down the line. Yeah. Was there anyone in particular that kind of like influenced you or kind of like made you go into DJing? Definitely. I'd say my two older brothers. Cause like I said, they were DJs too. So they kind of, trickled down my equipment um but as far as djs it's kind of funny I'm, I'm like one of the outliers as far as like the club scene because the club djs like the ones that do this like full-time full-time a lot of them produce on the side and they're really really into house music and i'd be lying to you if i said i liked house music because i don't <laughs> i really don't like if you come to my set like i pride my sets on thinking the best college party you've ever been to and then just amp that up by 10 because all your favorite songs are hitting at the right time in the right way and that's just how I like DJing so as far as like the DJ that influenced me I can't I can't really say any I was more in, I was more in it for like I said coming from that rock band lifestyle I just wanted that that spotlight and I always when I DJ for my friends they're like damn I wish like I wish like they did this more you know like my older friends are like damn I wish the clubs did this more instead of just this like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like, no, I'm going to, I want you, I want you having fun. So that was my thing. Yeah. So when it goes into like your, uh, your mixes, like, what do you like put in there? Cause like, obviously you got to feel for like how the, how like the party's going and all that before you like actually put like something good on or, or like feel it out, I guess you could say. 
Yeah, most definitely feel it out. So like a typical, I'll take you through like a typical Friday night at a bar that's like pretty well packed. Uh, obviously, as I've gotten older, I've learned the importance of putting my music in folders a certain way and what we call hot cues. So basically BPM is beats per minutes in DJing. And the lowest usually you stay around is 70 and it goes up to about 150. So the way I usually work is I start around like 83, 84 to start a night. And usually I let the songs play out a little longer, both choruses um, mix in kind of slow. And then as the people start coming in and as like obviously more people drinking a little more, bring the energy up, basically I'm bringing their own beats per minute up. Like I'm going to get their heart rate going a little higher. I know the booze is flowing, booze is flowing to me. And peak of the night is 120 for sure. Like all my banger bangers are 120. So, so for example, like my very favorite part of the night to play is I go from nonstop by Drake into Paris by Kanye and Jay-Z into it's a party by Waka Flocka into no problem by chance. And then after that, I just kind of freestyle it, but like a bunch of just hype songs all in a row. So I wouldn't say I have like a set list when I DJ, but like, like how I just named those four songs for you. I definitely have songs that I always bunch together. Like then that just comes with practice. It's like, all right, I know this song, this song and this song work really well together. And I set up my hot cues, which is basically like something will light up on the turntables and I could just hit it and it'll jump to the chorus. Cause I said it beforehand. So like I, I it, practice comes to, this is going to sound cool coming in here, here, here. And these songs got to stay together. You know what I mean? Yeah. That those, those songs are hyped. Mm-hmm. It really gets you going. Hi, there's another, there's another one I do. I do crazy in love by Beyonce into uh, bring them out by TI into uproar by little Wayne into drop it like it's hot remix by Snoop Dogg. And then into Colby's favorite unwritten the remix. I was just about to ask that. I was like, you got be- you better put unwritten on for Colby. Yep. And then unwritten comes in and it just, that's my thing. I cater to everyone. Like, if you like rap, you're going to get hype when I drop some a little bit older T.I. If you're a white girl, you're going to sing your lungs out when I bring in my high school musical remix. You know what I mean? I got Spanish music. I got the hood stuff. The best is the hood stuff because dudes will look up at me. I'll drop in some future mixtape and they'll look at me. They'll be like, what the this white dude is not supposed to be this culture in music. Like, so that's what I pride myself on. Just knowing a bunch of genres. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's that those are really hype songs and especially that unwritten for uh, for Colby. So oh, always. always like I said, like I said when, when people ask me what genre of DJ I am, I just tell them hype. That's like the easiest way I could put it. Like I want you to have a party. And being hype, there also comes with times you got to realize you can only play so many hype songs in a row, right? Like you're going to get tired of jumping over and over again. You need another drink. You got to go to the bathroom. So I have there's a method to the madness. When I was younger, definitely like those tip jar days, dude, I just, I didn't even know what BPM was. I was just playing songs. I didn't know that the knobs, like now it's definitely more thought out beforehand. Cause the more prep you do for DJing, the easier it is to do when you're there. Like I can get super, super drunk when I DJ. And just because I practice and I know where my stuff is and what's going to work with what it's, it's 10 times easier when you prep. Yeah, so what goes into prepping? Like, do you just, like, put, like, the music, like, on, the, on like, your computer? Like, what goes into it? Yeah, so basically when 
I download songs. I have a specific website that I go through. It's like a monthly subscription and it comes with like intros. So basically if you like think of your favorite song, if it starts with lyrics right away, they'll have versions that come with different, so many bars of intros, like a count, they call it. There'll be like an eight count intro, a 16 count, just makes it easier to mix. Um, but after that, I set up all my music in BPM order so that I could see the numbers all in order. So I don't have to jump around with the knobs. And then lastly, it's just the hot cues, figuring out what, like I said, when you practice, what part of songs you want to jump to. So uh, for one example, I have an Ain't No Mountain High Enough remix, but the intro is just way too long. So I mix, excuse me, I mix in the intro. And once I realize like I'm on beat and it's been going too long, hit that hot cue and then you hear the beginning of the song. So that way people don't get too bored. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot of, a lot of getting your music in order. Those hot cues are really important. And then practice because certain songs have to come in at certain times. So you don't mess it up. So like, uh, for example, the song tipsy, right when the chorus starts, I bring in nice for what by Drake. And if I bring it in like one bar too late, it doesn't sound right when it drops. So just comes down to practicing for the most part yeah so when it, when you practice you just practice in like your room or like do you just like set up like a fake like club scene and then just uh hit the beats or like what do you do for that yeah so literally right to the right of me right now i have a folding table in my bedroom a speaker and then my turntables and my laptop and then basically i think i have one dj little light here for when i really just want to feel like i'm I'm back at the club and not club Corona over here. Club Corona. But yeah, just uh, like anything, you know, like sports, like anything you do practice makes perfect and it makes it just easier and, and more fun. It definitely, um, unfortunately it takes sometimes the fun out of doing live stuff because when I do practice so much, it's like, I know exactly what I need to hit when, but like I said, not having a complete set playlist is a little fun because then once in a while you can bring in a song that maybe you won't play like you said how you said reading the crowd if it's still quiet an extra hour than i expected maybe it's cold out or maybe you know just not coming to your bar tonight i have i have different songs to kind of go in there because you never want to waste an absolute banger on an empty bar yeah you mentioned earlier that you were in a rock band and you were the lead singer. And then when you transitioned to DJing, you liked that spotlight. So was, did you like have a spotlight too, when you were in uh, your rock band or did you just have that DJing and like, what was that transition like? Oh, most, most definitely Tyler. The spotlight was on me in the rockers. I was Mr. Front and center. Our big song that we always finished it with was sweet child of mine. And I had some pipes and I always made sure we did a couple gigs and I always made sure I brought the wireless mic with me because there's the part in the song where it's like, where do we go now? Where do we go? I thought I was the shit running around in the crowd, like little seventh grade me. I had, you remember those 3D glasses at movie theaters? Yeah. I, used to pop, I used to pop those out and that was my stage sunglasses, like just running around this place singing, where do we go now? The first girl's number I ever got was in seventh grade after the talent show didn't go to our school she was visiting a friend or something she's like hey you're really cute and you can sing like here's my number and I was like this lifestyle is great like why would I want to give this up <laughs> have you got any of those uh 
those numbers uh, in real DJing? Oh, in real DJing? Ah, plentiful. Plentiful. DJing is like, if you take, if I was a video game character and like my confidence level, like on a regular Saturday at a bar was like a six and a half, let's say, or seven maybe. If you put me behind turntables, my confidence shoots to an 11. Like, I just know, like, in that time frame where I DJ for like two hours, I know I'm the man. This is my crowd. You are looking at me. You're listening to my music. You're dancing to what I do. So, like, the confidence behind turntables, as opposed to the other side of them, it's it's unmatched. But, yeah, the rock star life, uh, like you asked, that was, that was definitely the start. I'd say of knowing that I like the spotlight at least like before then I was just mainly sports. Um, and then once I kind of ventured into that way in music, I was like, Oh, this is, this is kind of nice. Cause you still get the spotlight in sports when you're doing good, but I was always team sports too. Like that's the first time it was kind of an individual spotlight more, if that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, obviously you're balling out there anywhere you go, you're rock star, DJ, anywhere, anywhere. So, uh, what has been your, like your most memorable moment so far while DJing? Ooh, that's a good one. Most memorable moment. My fir- my very first Thursday in Lincoln Park, I'll never forget, because that was like, I had been, I was 22 when I DJed there for the first time. And I had been to those bars so many times just thinking like, damn, like, how do I DJ here? Like, I don't, I'll never do a city stuff. Like I thought there's a time I thought after college, that was going to be it. Like I could just do suburbs and that was, that was it. And that first, that first Thursday was super special because I hyped it up to all my friends. And I was like, this would mean the world. Like if you guys came, like this is my first like city gig. And almost every one of them showed up, which was awesome because I, didn't expect that kind of support and I have really good friends as far as supporting me when I DJ. So that was cool. Another cool one was at Benedictine, my sophomore year, we had this thing called beneficial, basically just drink all day, uh, wake up at 8 AM and our basketball team was in the elite eight for division three and we were hosting. We packed that. That was the, that was the only game at my time at a division three school. I had to wait in line for a ticket the day before because they sold out which was just wow. ridiculous. They, um, yeah. So that night, and it was the only year in my four years that let me do it because we got too crazy that night. We, I mean, DJ in the quad, we have like a big square of apartments on campus and they let me do it. And they shut me down an hour early because we got too out of control out there. And as I shut down, like the cops are telling me I have to shut down. They're telling me to get on the mic. I'm like, I'm not the cop. Like, you tell them to shut down. I'm not doing, I'm the DJ. And I shut down, dude. They just started chanting my name. And this was like a good like 300 people. And I was like, this is, this is it. This is when I knew I had to keep DJing. Like this feeling was perfect. So definitely, yeah, that first Thursday and then beneficial are definitely my, my top two moments to this point. Yeah. Those, those definitely uh, shoot up your confidence when, when they're shouting out your name, everything's going right there. Oh, most definitely. I got a, I have a video somewhere saved on my phone of it. I was like, all right, this is dope. This is dope. You got to send me that after. Mm-hmm. I got you. But, so, um, uh, I, when I was doing your graphic design stuff, I've seen like all the places you've DJed and 
you've you've went to some pretty pretty good uh bars and clubs so what has been your favorite so far uh base camp in lyle has a soft spot in my heart just because that was the first bar i ever got a chance at and i kind of learned how to use club turntables there i kind of had like the rookie starter kit and that was like all my college friends every thursday like we were in there so that was definitely a good one um the original la social was fun we used to get real ratchet in the summer because they had windows that would open up and like when windows open up and people hear music they're just like oh yeah let's just go in here and we used to get this place like jam-packed they used to give me bottles there because i'd bring people in like i was a rock star there for sure um and then two nine uh, is one in naperville pretty smaller but they got like a cool patio but that was my favorite just because that was the first new year's eve i got to dj so i got to be the guy doing the countdown on the mic and that was definitely out there but as far as most special base camp for sure because like i said like you you don't forget where you start so that was my starting point yeah so how was uh how was that new year's eve uh at two nine like when you got like to count down and like that whole experience that whole night like explain uh, New Year's Eve was dope. Uh, all my friends came out again because we were in college still and we lived right down the street. All dressed up, suit and ties. Like we went we went balls to the walls for this. And all, all day I was like, all right, how are you going to do the countdown? Are you going to are you going to do it pre-recorded? Are you going to go on the mic? Like, what do you want to do? And I was just going back and forth. And I was like, what song am I going to drop at midnight to do? That was that was a real issue. But I ended up dropping, I think uh yeah by usher or yeah by chris brown it was one of those two and i ended up doing it live on the mic but that was a pretty cool moment like knowing that everyone's looking at you again that spotlight was just big as could be yeah so what has been like the biggest thing you've learned like throughout like your entire dj career so far i guess you could say i think the biggest thing i learned is djs are more of a team than rivals which I kind of learned the hard way. So when I was first doing those base camps and like going out, I'd listen to DJs and I kind of, I'd low key. I'd be like, Dan, this dude sucks. Like I should be doing this. Like who do I got to email? Who I got to talk to? And I just had that mindset. Cause you kind of get that mindset from sports. You know what I mean? Like they're the other team. Technically you want to beat them. You want to win. And over time, I just started realizing DJing is a little less about how good you are. It's about more who you know and who you support. So when I started doing in the city, I met this guy named Khan and he kind of asked me, Hey, I like your stuff. Do you want to open for me? So basically the opener DJ is like kind of when it's dead, usually like at 10 to 1130, but you get about 20 minutes of, I'd say pretty good DJ time to, to, to warm them up. And it was from that point on, I realized I need to stop being a hater and I need to start making more connections. So once I made more connections, once I would see like a friend of a friend DJing, I'd go there. I'd say, what's up, introduce myself, tell them I'm a DJ too, like that. And people don't forget that when you come to support them, people definitely remember that. So that's how I got my foot in the door. And I'd get a text on a Saturday, like, Hey, we need an opener from nine to 11. You want in? And those are perfect because 90% of the times, I got paid the exact same for doing less work and I got done earlier. So I'd be, I could text my friends. I'd be like, Hey, you guys want to go out tonight? I DJ till 11 and I get a $60 tab. So we get to drink for free for a little bit. And then I don't have to worry about 
staying too sober. Because when I DJ, like I said, I can get drunk, but I can't like party as hard as I would if I was just going out. So when I do the openers, I was loving it. I was like, this is great. I can just DJ. I can go party after. It was perfect. But yeah, definitely the biggest thing I learned is don't be, if you're a DJ, don't be a hater. Like you're, they're more connected than you realize. Like the bars are owned by like the same people half the time. The managers will be at different locations within the company. So meeting, meeting people and, and just being, just being a good person. It just comes down to networking and, and how you talk to people, you know, and that's life. You know, if you make your connections and you talk to people, well, you're going to get your doors open. So I've just been, I'm lucky I figured that out sooner than later. That's for sure. How much longer do you plan on uh, DJing into like your future? Till I'm dead. No, I'm playing. Oh, that's a good question. I, so going back to kind of getting my master's, like I know I want to, so DJing is my passion, like without a doubt, but I think I'm smart enough, both like just street smart and I guess like education wise to know that it's not the most stable career. Like look at a time like now, like all these DJs literally are just unemployed and they can't file for unemployment either because they're independent. I'm not saying this is going to happen every year. Like this is obviously out of the blue, but I want to be able to have a nine to five job and then DJ two, three times a week. So basically Thursday, Friday, Saturday are kind of the, the DJ days, at least in my schedule, because I'm not full time. So I'd have no problem going nine to five DJ until one on a Thursday, having extra coffee Friday morning at work. You know what I mean? Like that's the life I want to live. Um, and uh, probably I, I can't put an age on DJing. I'd put more of a time frame. I guess if I'd have to say whenever like one day in the future, I guess if I like started a family, I'd probably start hanging it up then. But me being the playboy I am, that's not going to happen until like my thirties, mid thirties at least. So I guess, yeah, mid thirties ish would be the range. I definitely don't want to do it past then because I do not like older DJs. They're just out of touch with music. I'm not saying I will be, but there's like that chance that you still want to hang on to the classics. And I just think DJing is kind of a younger profession in my mind, but yeah, mid thirties is probably the safe answer. Yeah. So you, you at least got 10 more years. Yeah. We're, we're good. We're just hitting our peak too. Like I, I started doing river North bars as the opener before this all kind of went. And in, in my eyes, river North is kind of the world series. Like if you could headline at a river North bar, you've, you've made it in Chicago. You know what I mean? Like those are, those are the top bars you want to be at for sure. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Uh, you, uh, since you DJ at like river North and like, that's like one of the top like places that you could like DJ in Chicago. Like what was that experience like? River North was definitely cool. It was definitely a little different. The two places I've been at so far. So the one was called trophy room. And they texted me saying they needed someone for game sounds. And I had no idea what that meant. But I was like, yeah, I'll, if you're going to pay me, sure. So literally, I they had the UFC fight going through the speakers, through the turntables. And between each round, they just had me play like 10 seconds, 15 seconds of music. So I would just play Fight Night by Migos. All of a sudden, fight comes back on. And then the other DJ was running late. So I ended up getting to DJ for like probably 45 minutes to a pretty packed house. But... That was cool because I didn't realize that was a whole new market I just opened, realizing that, especially on NFL Sundays and college football Saturdays, I can start DJing and make mon the same amount of money, mind you, play 
70% less music. Uh, so that was cool. And then the other dope place I was at was Social 25. And it was really weird because there was two floors. The bottom floor was kind of clubby and the upstairs was more of a bar, but a club at the same time. And the opener DJ would go from 10 to 12. But they had a band upstairs from 10 to 11.30. So I had a DJ strictly through my headphones for the people downstairs. And it's really hard to DJ just through your headphones because usually you have what you call a monitor speaker, which is right behind you. And that will play the song that's live. And then your headphones usually will play the song that's coming in next. But instead, I had to hear the song playing and I had to hear what song was coming in next all at the same time. So that was definitely tricky. But again, another situation, DJ was running an hour late and we just, we turned this place up. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to say names because this is the only DJ I actually, I just don't like. I don't know why. I know I said, don't be a hater, but I, I think he sucks. It's just me. He came in after me and we probably stayed there for another hour or so. And I kid you not, like we were trying to get drinks at the bar or go to the bathroom and every like minute or two, someone would come up to me. Are you done DJing? Can you go back on? Like I, I, this guy sucks. And I was like, I wish <laughs> I do this all night if I could. And that was, that was a good feeling though. You know what I mean? It's like, all right. It, I know in my head, I think that I play good music and I have my friends tell me, but friend, you know, sometimes friends will always say you, you do something good. But the fact that I have strangers now, like once strangers start telling me, like I killed it, I love your music. I got Instagram followers. That was like, that was the pinnacle. Like, especially when I was doing uh, Lincoln Park consistent, when I realized I was getting like five Instagram followers a gig or six, like I knew I was doing something right. So, yeah, especially when uh, you got strangers coming up, that also boosts your confidence a whole lot more. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. Because, like I said, friends like, I friends are pretty truthful though. At least my friends, like, we'll tell you yeah. if you did something shitty, we'll let you know. But it's always reassuring when it's someone that doesn't know you at all and they're just basing you off what they heard in two hours. It's a pretty good feeling for sure. Yeah, you could also get connections that way. So obviously uh, connections are huge. So like how important do you think it's the most important thing DJing is the connections? Most definitely. Connections and networking in person by far. When I first wanted to start DJing in clubs, I was just sending out emails no responses like I didn't even know who to email I'd be just emailing like managers or owners and that was before I was recording mixes too so I had nothing to show them I was just like hey trust me I was like okay they're just gonna trust me that I play good music that's not happening networking for sure so for example the guy that hires me in Lincoln Park he's a DJ too but he's he's pretty high up there and me and him get along well he kind of likes my music we play similar music so I've almost been like his opener so to speak as of late so there'll be times where he's got a gig or he'll double book and he'll be like hey double book do you want to take my gig at you know x bar so basically my guy in lincoln park that i first connected with me and him got along real well and over time we realized we kind of had the same music taste and he was kind of pretty high up there in the music world so he'd start booking two three times in a night knowing that he couldn't like do them all and then he gave them off to me and my buddy Juan, which was pretty, pretty nice of him. So we'd like get extra spots open for him. And since then, it's just been networking. So like you asked, networking is 100, 125% the most important part of DJing, at least for the club, club scene, for sure.
Yeah, it just seems like connections are everything, especially in life, like for like jobs and all that, like it's all connections. Right, right. It's just how the world rolls. For, for, exactly. So um, how, for like when you go to like these like uh, these clubs, uh, bars, like how long does it take you to like set up? When do you usually get get there before like your gig, like stuff like that? So the nice part about clubs is everything is there for you. So basically all I show up to at a club is my headphones and a flash drive. And I'll usually get there about 30 minutes beforehand. I'll set up for about two sound check for about 30 seconds. And then get a couple of drinks in before I got to start. Hey, good luck. Got to take advantage of that free tab. True. So like when you were like first starting and you obviously didn't have like everything set up like right for you, like how long would, how long would that take you? So when I do the private events still, I'd say set up usually takes about 20-ish minutes. So basically I have a table, turntables, three lights, two speakers, two stands, laptop stand, and then obviously all the cords. So the speakers take, probably the longest just because they're a little heavy to get up kind of a two-man job um but otherwise the longest is just there's when you do private there's just a lot of cords so like my turntables alone have one two have four cords going in and out of them speakers have two laptop has two headphones just just pretty much that um and then the other time spent obviously is getting everything out of the car so private events you know just just loading up so uh, private events suck a little more in that sense as far as bring your own equipment but I can charge more for private events if that makes sense so basically what I was doing before I make the same amount of money from one block party as I do two or three nights of club DJing but I'm just at a point in my life where I think club DJing is a more fun and b more convenient for me at least as far as traveling and free time yeah, exactly. So how can if I can make the same amount of money, even though it's more days, doing something I love, it's it's a no brainer for me. But um, yeah, there's a time in my life I was doing a block party every weekend in the summer of college, which is awesome. I was making great money, but I was also losing out on weekends, which sucked. Because block parties are always Saturdays, and that was another reason. Like I wanted to be with my friends on the weekends. So it's like again, club is perfect. I'm with my friends. I'm DJing and I'm drinking yeah can everything's going right there yeah (laughs) no else yeah because like we have we had our friend who also djs on here a few like a month ago and he was like he has he said it took him like an hour to get like prepped and all everything like for like his like gigs but like obviously he's not like going to like clubs and like bars like you but he's like doing more like private and like weddings and like wedding events and like all that birthday party so that's uh that's another aspect of it but yeah no most definitely um i mean i have a system down too like yeah. i said i've been doing it for so long i i kind of know how which way to pack up the car which stuff to get up first things like that yeah because he's only been doing it for like two years where you've been doing it for like 10 right it was definitely it's definitely longer in the beginning now i have i'm very not as so much putting the stuff away after a gig but the prep before the gig 
I, I roll up all my cords how I want them. I know what's going in which bag. So that way when I unload, I know exactly where everything is, which makes it easier. Yeah. So like when it comes to like, like seeing how much money to, how, how much you like, obviously I'm not going to ask you how much you charge, but like, how do you like come up with like what you, what you charge for like a certain event? Yeah. So basically when I first started DJing, like I said, the tip jar, cause I knew I didn't have that much equipment. And then once I got to a point where I was confident enough in my equipment, like the music I knew I was playing with the equipment part, at least, cause that's what people are really paying for is especially at weddings. Most, most specifically, uh, I just kind of looked around and I asked other DJs that did private stuff. I was like, Hey, what are you charging, you know, for this, for that, um, weddings obviously are my most charged and that comes with a mix of, um, it's the most set up, like it's a little more professional. And then two, there's more personalized prep to that. So for a gig, you kind of have your music, maybe a block party will be like, Hey, can you download some eighties music, whatever. But a wedding, it's like, all right, you got to make sure you have the entrance song, the first mother daughter, or the mother son dance, the daughter father dance, the first dance. Like, that's their day. You know what I mean? Yeah. But being that it's their day, that's why I can charge the most of all the gigs because I'm going to put the most time in before the wedding to get to where it's at. Um, for the most part, though, like, whatever, comp- I still, like, I bring my own equipment and all. But as far as, like, if you went through a, a company, that DJs and they have like real, real professional stuff and they're all like outsourced. I charge probably like $200, $300 less than them. So that's what still makes me like a good option because I'm going to give you that professional environment or feel, but I'm still going to be a little bit cheaper than the top notch stuff. Yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. So uh, we got a few more DJ questions for you. So, uh, what has been like the most interesting story or like approach that you've had like DJing? Like it could be like interesting, like like uh, different scenarios like that. Um, I mean, every night you DJ is interesting because the DJ booth is like slightly higher than the rest of the crowd, and people watching is just so much fun. Like, if I had a dollar for every time the booth next to me, some girlfriend and boyfriend were fighting or someone threw a drink in someone's face, or, like, I've probably seen, like, two or three fist fights on the floor. So, I mean, all that, you're just, like, numb to it, though, at this point. You know what I mean? And you see it all the time. But favorite story DJing, like I said, my confidence is just through the roof when I DJ. So, like, I'm literally, like, Mr. Ladies, man, when I DJ. If a girl comes up to me, like, I, I'm just, like, Rico Suave, just super smooth, like, because I know if they're coming up to me and it's not for a song request, like, they just try to make conversation, I already have them reeled in. We skipped the hard part, right? Talking to women is not fun. It's not easy. And if they come to you first, fishing reel. So my favorite stories are the girls that come up, because I just turn into a ham and cheese sandwich. I'm sitting here, <laughs> sweet talking them. What do you want? You want to stand up here? I'll tell them take a shot on me, thinking I'm a big shot. I'm not a big shot. They just give me a free tab for the night. That's all it is. That's awesome. Miss so Mr. Ladies, man. The women. The women's the best part, period. After the music. After the music. Yeah, of course. So um, what's your, like, mindset during, like, DJing? Like, like how hard or, like, before? Like, what's your mindset? Like, after? Like, anywhere, everywhere in between there? Um, when I first started doing clubs before, I used to get so nervous. I used to get 
so, so nervous. And obviously that goes away over time. Um, but during, it's just kind of like, I compare DJing sometimes to kind of like chess. Like you got to look, you know how in chess they say you got to look a couple moves ahead. Yeah. I'm always thinking a couple songs ahead. So whatever you're hearing, I'm thinking what's next, obviously first. But then after that, I'm like, all right, what two or three songs can I kind of roll into from there? Because the hardest part I'd say of DJing is you can know what song's next, but either remembering or making sure you put your cues in the right place and being able to count. It's a lot of counting, obviously. So when you can count the intros and the outros and the bars right. When you're bringing in the next song while I'm DJing, everything's on like a, like a clock in my head, like just beats. So I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, all right, if we hit play here, we're going to have it at this part. If I play here, it's going to come in at that part and, and vice versa. So during is definitely just math and then a lot of muscle memory at some point, the songs I play a lot. And then after it's just, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Let's go home. Cause I do a lot of damn dancing in that DJ booth. I'm not going to sit there and play the songs. I'm going to sing with you. I'm going to get the fist bumps going. I'm going to, yeah, whatever. I'm going to cheers you. I'm going to chug you. It, it's, it's awesome. How Like, you know, you're doing a good job too. When someone comes up to you, buys you a shot, gets you a drink, like, it's 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 awesome but yeah most part is numbers 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 and it's funny because i'm terrible at math actual math i suck at but if you tell me to mix in a song and i'm just doing numbers in my head like quick you tell me how much how much the tip i couldn't tell you i got to get out my calculator uh, it, it's amazing how much how you could suck at math but yeah be still good with numbers when it does right. come down to something you love right it's just it's just out there i, I and i like i said i can't explain it yeah uh, that that seems like so much fun oh it's it's a blast like i said if you like a spotlight it's definitely a lifestyle for you yeah exactly and so, you gotta love you gotta love music though too you know yeah. what i mean like if yeah, you don't like if you don't movie. love like music is my like i wake up music alarm clock songs go downstairs turn on my speaker listen to music during breakfast always music during workouts play playstation i got spotify coming through my headphones like I, I just love music, so that's that's a huge part. Yeah, and you also do uh, you also make mixes as well. So like, what goes into making mixes? Yeah, so I just recently started doing mixes. Um, it was kind of this like full circle plan. That's kind of when I came to you for the graphics. I found a website. So SoundCloud's real tough because they have like music copyright. And one of my DJ friends showed me this website called MixCloud, and it's like specifically for DJs. You can make mixes. And I was making pre-recorded mixes for a couple of high school cheerleading teams, actually. I'd charge them, and I'd make them, like, one- or two-minute mixes. And then our old boss, Jordan, uh, she was really into house music. My friend Tyler's into house music. Like I said, I don't know it that much, and, like, I don't like it that much, but I still, like, I still play it because I know, like I said, yeah. I'm playing to a crowd, not to myself. So I made a house mix, and it was either Jordan or my friend Tyler. I sent it to both of them, and they're like, this is, like, amazing. I need to post this. And I was like, you know, maybe I should start, start doing my posts. So, um, yeah, basically my very first two, at least that I put out, or not the house music one, but the top 40 one and the rap one that I put out are always, always songs that I play and they always go over well. So I was like, I might as well just post this and see who likes it. And then thought process two was, all right, now that I have posts, when I was an idiot a couple of years ago trying to email people and they'd be like, do you have any music? And I'd tell them no. Now I can show them my music 
Uh, the other links that you put on there for me was like my social media. So I want them to see my Instagram followers obviously are up there. Um, my Twitter, I have my birthday video pinned. I think I have like 500 Twitter followers and my birthday video views are like, I think I got it to almost 4k now. So I want to show them like I can, I can reach an audience. Um, cause like I said, it's a lot of networking still on top of music. So a mix of that is just going to expand my horizon. So the next like big plan I have is I have some homies out in Milwaukee and I'm going to hopefully post quarantine, start working on gigs up there on top of Chicago because it's definitely, um, they see like you DJ in Chicago, like we're, we're one of the top three, like top three, top four DJ markets. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like here, Vegas, LA, uh, Miami for the most part. So these smaller kind of places, I want to go DJ. I want to go there. Uh, I had this big plan. It didn't work obviously this time, but we were supposed to go to Fort Lauderdale for spring break. So next spring break, I want to get out to them ahead of time. Maybe bring my mixer with, I mean, surprise my you know that'd be dope all the boys in spring break and then all of a sudden like hey by the way i'm djing here tonight like they'd love that and so yeah those those graphics helped me so much showing that i dj not only in chicago but at like decently big name places and those mixes that's kind of how i decided to make them i'm like all right i want to expand outside what i have already and just keep keep growing this yeah for sure you also get some uh, some connections up in milwaukee especially like any or like Fort Lauderdale as well right right and then if you make a connection and it's all about that first gig if that first gig goes well man like they'll want you back yeah I promise you they'll they will want you back my first gig went so well at LA Social that they had me hop on once every third or once a month on Thursdays and then I got bumped up at twice a month on Thursdays hey. and also the the graphics will also help me because like everyone's everyone's like Oh, there's some sick graphics. Where do you get them from? And then exactly connections. I'm telling you, your graphic design is going to take you far, man. Because you can do that for everything. Yeah, everything. Sports, music, uh, YouTubers, bloggers, makeup pages. uh, You know anything? Wrestling. I don't know. Yeah, anytime you need some, you know where I am. I got you. I got you. I always plug you too. You gotta. I'm I'm big on giving credit to where it comes from. Yeah, that's that's the rule. Yeah. So is there any last words on like your DJing that you want to like get, get across before we go into like sports? Uh, no, I think I'm good on the DJ just give me a, give me an Instagram follow there to all the listeners out there. That's at DJ Gino G and you'll see Jack's sweet graphics he made for me on there. And once this is all over, I'm telling you, this is, I, I, I hate, I hate bragging. But I promise you, if you come out a night I'm DJing, it's going to be one of the better nights you've had this summer, for sure. Oh, yeah. So, uh, give, my, give my guy, DJ Gino G, a follow, at DJ Gino G, and uh, let's move on to sports. So, uh, since, like, we're all, we're in this quarantine, like, and, like, there's no sports going on, what sport do you think is going to come come out come out first like how do you think it's gonna go yeah I, uh me personally i think baseball is gonna be the first one um they've started that korean league already which i have gambled on already two and one and i think baseball specifically because there's the least amount of contact like people are kind of wondering why the nba still hasn't announced anything it's there's just a lot of bumping and touching and baseball. I'm not saying there isn't, but like compared to basketball, 
Yeah. There's less. Uh, they're, they're definitely going to follow that kind of Korean guideline, I think. No fans, kind of that route. Um, but it'll be interesting. And everyone that says, like, it's going to be not as fun. No, it's, it, I am itching for a sport. Like, I tune in every Sunday night to watch The Last Dance. Like, it is happening live. Because we just don't have a sport. You know, we have this, this void just missing. Like, and people, even that don't watch sports, I bet are going to watch sports at this time just because it's it's something to do and get our minds off of and get out of a kind of this routine you get stuck in on quarantine yeah it's like the same for like nhl's too with like the nba it's like a really like contact sport and as much as like i want hockey to come back and like they've set like guidelines for like training camp's gonna start like june 1st which is also my birthday and uh he's but i don't i honestly don't see that happening since like the stay-at-home order is still, like, to, like, May 30th. So, it's, like, a little too close there. And then you have to, like, they ease the restrictions after that. But I am looking forward to MLB hopefully coming back in July. That should be a lot of fun, even if there's no fans. For what, are you, what, are your guys, what are your guys' thoughts on the, the realignment of divisions if it comes back, though? Kind of the centrals put together, the east and the west put together. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting because, like, I'm so used to that just split, like, 5-5-5 five, 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 and then, like, the the long seasons. But now it's going to be, like, it just doesn't feel right. Like, the rivalries are going to be kind of mixed up a little bit. Like, you got, like, one West team. Like, I'll just say, like, Dodgers and then the A's. Like, it's just, it's just weird. Like, you don't think of those two teams, like, facing off, like, every single year. And then with a right. the really short season, it's like, man, like, that's not the baseball that I remember. Yeah, it's, it's only going to be different. The 82 games is going to be different, but low-key kind of exciting because, like, the games are going to mean so much more now. Like, if you get yeah. – if you kind of go in a slump, that could hurt you because you don't have – like, I feel like baseball, in my mind, is always a second-half season. It's yeah. always, like, you kind of watch it casually, and then the All-Star game happens, and then after the All-Star game, it's like, all right, this is where you have to lock in. This is the playoff run. So, yeah. it's definitely, definitely going to be more intense. And one thing I hope they do – I don't know how much spring training you guys watched, but I hope they mic them up like they did in spring training because that was so entertaining. They might as well. They got nothing else to do. Yeah. There's no fans, so it's like might as well give, yeah. so give another entertainment. It's just like I've seen some of those videos for like from spring training, and they're definitely I, – I love those videos. Yeah, there's one of Anthony Rizzo not knowing – they're like, what pitch do you think is coming? He goes, I have no idea. He goes, someone bang a trash can for me. Like just, <laughs> just epic. Yeah, that, that was funny. <laughs> It's gonna be weird seeing the White Sox and Cubs be in the same like division. Yeah, play actually more games than just uh I mean I always thought they should play more than just the three game like they used to, so at least that'll be good. Yeah. So at least they'll have like that Chicago rivalry, like like back when like Pierzinski and Barrett got into it. Right, right, right. That'd be exciting for sure. Yeah. So like so like the the alignment it's gonna be interesting, obviously, but like overall, I I like I like those line those alignments, and especially with the like shorter season, it'll definitely like bring up the intensity because, like you said, Gino, every game matters now, and it's just like you if you have to win. Right. The reality is everything is different right now, like just the world in general. So if baseball is different, who cares at this point? Like everything's just out of control. Let's just keep adding to it. Fuel the fire. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you were talking about the last dance. So 
How do you like the last dance? I love the last dance. I am total team. Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player ever. I don't want to hear any of your LeBron James shit. I could give two shits about it. LeBron should end up beat the Bulls in 2015. David Black called the timeout. That popped up in my timeline the other day about the, the big shot. No, nope. David Black called the timeout and they didn't see anything. That's a technical. But I love it. I think like it's just pure, just there's just a different hunger from Jordan than other athletes and it's just awesome to watch I love when he shit talks I love when he's like I mean the last episode someone told him he had a good game so he dropped 50 on his head just because he didn't like the way he said it like come on they just don't build him like that anymore it's just it's been awesome to watch especially because like we knew what happened but we weren't really born or we weren't or we too young to kind of appreciate it so now seeing what's happened and seeing how it happened it's like it's just awesome and it makes me wish I was a little older to get to watch 90s Bulls basketball. Yeah, that Bulls not 90s 90s basketball was a time to be alive. And it's it's a lot different than it was now cuz you could actually bump in the 90s and it'll it'll still be a good play. And now you you barely bump into someone and it's a foul. Right. Physicality, I mean, it was just more exciting. It's like watching older football highlights even from the 2000s like just dudes cutting across the middle getting absolutely wrecked that's a penalty obviously nowadays which makes sense because the whole cte thing but it's still awesome to watch i'm not going to deny that like i love seeing a quarterback get killed yeah <laughs> yeah and just michael jordan he's like he he's a, like a must win guy it's like he wants to win he's hungry for that win and he's if like his team isn't performing he'll take on that role and just put up 50 60 points to help carry the team right he just he just has a different aura of him and i i personally love that he's just a gambler spent a hundred dollars a hole on golf like no that's not a gambling addiction when you're winning sorry not right. he's a legend for that 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 whole situation was very interesting of, of the last episode with like like his gambling like addiction it's just like no it's not an addiction yeah no gambling is 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 healthy and good for the world and this will be my selfless plug for uh, my podcast with my buddy Woj that comes back in the fall, uh, Big Bets on Campus. We basically broke down our college football bets every week. And we had a, we had a pretty good year for the most part. So betting is if, – if you do the numbers, it's harder to get mad when you lose, if that makes sense. Like when you yeah. dig through the analytics and why the spread is what it is and you figure out what you're betting on, if you lose, it's less frustrating. Definitely less frustrating than losing like blackjack. They have no control over that unless you're Rain Man. Exactly. And uh, I'll, I'll definitely t- have to take a listen to that in the fall for sure. Yes, we, we will be back. Our, our podcast is seasonal. Just just college football is, is all. I mean, we bet on other stuff. We just both know college football lines the best. So that's kind of how we came along that show. Yeah. So how do you think the NFL season is going to be since uh, – do you think you'll be affected by this or like – what do you think about like the fall, the fall and winter sports coming up? My personal take is it won't be affected on the field. It might be affected still like crowd size, maybe as far as events. It seems like events like sports and music are kind of a big impact. That's what's going to take the longest. But I don't see this being as big of a problem by what what's opening week, September something. Yeah, like beginning of September. Yeah, I, I don't see the actual play being a problem by then. Me personally, I'm thinking like mid-July is when we really start coming back to normal. That's kind of my guess-ish. 
Yeah, that yeah, just like mid July, I think that you'll be able to get more more of a crowd in, like somewhat be back to normal. Right. There'll there'll be soft openings on like restaurants and stuff, and yeah, maybe restrictions on masks, thing like that. So, fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Because I am really sick of. I like I play a gross amount. I don't know about you guys if you do anything more than you used to, but for me, video games have been gross. Like just a gross amount. Yeah, I've I've played I haven't played in a year before this quarantine. I've been playing every day since then. Yeah, it's it's absolutely gross. Yeah, and it's not it's not worth getting mad over your connection either, but but shit happens. And the gym. The gym I think I miss the most. Yeah. Like, there's just so only so many home workouts you can do and I just get bored in my basement and it's brutal. I've done pretty much the same workouts for the past fifty days. So yeah. You're just limited. Yeah. So overall I don't think the I don't think the fall and winter sports are gonna be that affected. Maybe obviously maybe the fan size will be the most affected. But like overall I, like you said, I don't think the play is gonna be gonna be affected at all. Right. If you if like they didn't have like restrictions, would you would you go to a game? Even if you're like even if you could get it, like, would you still go to a game or would you just watch it on TV? Um, are we talking come football season or, like, let's say if baseball started in July? Just baseball overall. I would definitely be hesitant, and it just kind of comes down to how much we know by then, to be honest with you, because, like, I saw there's a new thing. You can get your finger, like, pricked. And you can see if you've had it already. It'll show if you have the antibodies. But then they still don't know if you're immune if you've had it, technically. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, it would really come down to where we're at as far as, like, the doctors. At that point, if they told me, hey, if you've had it before, uh, you're immune, I'd, I'd go get that test. And if I had it before, uh, you know. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm not even lying. I think I've had it at some point. Yeah, I think like, I, I felt like I felt like there was a stretch in like January where I was really sick for like five days, like really sick. Yeah, I was really sick in December at the end of December. So yeah, if there's if they tell me that if you had it, you're fine, and somehow it popped up that I had it, I'd go to a game. I'd, yeah. I'd totally be cool with that. But otherwise, definitely, uh, definitely hesitant, just because like I definitely want to hang out with my friends first. That's like priority one. Yeah, because I kind of trust them. Like when you talk to them every day, you know they're being kind of safe through all this. The only problem with a sporting event is like you don't know if the person next to you has been safe during this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what if they've been not wearing a mask, going out to house parties every weekend? Like you don't, you just don't know about strangers. That's the problem. Yeah. So I see, I see one solution. I my first Cubs game, I'm buying a press box with my friends. <laughs> that has to be it. Yeah, so uh, any other interesting takes you want to take on uh, sports? Um, I just miss them, man, like the rest of us. Uh, I was on Twitter the other day, and some clown wrote an article about how we don't need sports back. And I was just like, bro, what else are you going to do? Like, there's nothing – like, you don't realize the importance of live events until this. I'm talking anything, anything live television, anything that's not scripted. 
like people just enjoy watching because you don't know the outcome like you actually don't there's no spoilers there's no there's no rigging you know what i mean yeah and that's that's what i just missed the most that and playing them i still play men's league baseball i'm retired now but yeah i, I miss just playing them and and watching them for sure something to gamble on too that's right I, I, I cannot gamble on video games. You can. You can gamble on Madden, 2K, MLB. I just can't. I cannot, I cannot watch a computer system Mm-mm. for nine innings. Uh-oh. Not happening. I've been just – I miss sports a lot like you and like you, Tyler. And I've just been watching the highlights like all day, every day. I, I was so bored the other night that I busted out the Cubs World Series DVD set and watched all seven games. That's awesome. But that's all you could do right now. True. Yeah, I've been pretty bored lately where it's like I've been going on YouTube a lot and just watching a lot of like different like older NFL games, like some ranging from like the 2010s or even the 2000s, just because like football is my favorite sport to watch personally. And like I just want to know like what the game was like. And even now when, when especially there's nothing on, it's like might as well just see, you know, like we got nothing else to do. Right. Are you a Bears fan, Tyler? Big Bears fan. Go Pat, go baby. <laughs> I need, I need your, I need your, uh, I need your take on their draft though. Yeah, Jordan, yeah, Mr. Uh, Mr. Jordan Love. Next, next big thing. Terrible. I hate it. I hate every second of it. That's not what the Packers needed. They needed a young wide receiver. They waited too long. Those are like first two round things you need. Then they need some defensive help. They got a little bit, but I mean, all they did was piss off. Aaron Rodgers that's all he did I mean I look at it as I I mean when they drafted Aaron Rodgers Brett Favre I think was the same age or like a year younger and that panned out I guess but I don't know it's just tough I just feel like Aaron Rodgers could play a little longer than Brett Favre because Brett Favre took so many hits but I get I mean I get a little bit where they're coming from because that one year when Aaron Rodgers was done for the season I think it was like two or three years ago and then uh, who was our backup? Was it Caleb Haney or uh, who was the other guy? That's how was bad it, it was. Um, it wasn't Kaiser, right? Not no, Kaiser. yeah, it was the year Kaiser. It was the year Kaiser. It was Kaiser? Okay. Kaiser was terrible. Kaiser was awful. And I, I guess it makes sense as a security blanket, but I wouldn't have went round one. In my personal opinion – I think Jake Fromm is going to be really good, and I was super upset that he fell so far to Buffalo in, like, the third or fourth round. And I would have totally been fine with a Jake Fromm backup just learning under him. Like, I, I, my old roommate, Paul, he, he treats him like the second coming of Jesus. And he has just showed me all the highlights and the stats, and he's walked me through why he was bad last year. And I, I'm totally on the Jake Fromm train in the NFL, and I wish they picked up him instead if that's the route they wanted to go. But I totally would have grabbed a receiver round one. That's just me. Yeah, I heard something about Jake Fromm that he he doesn't have the physical like and gifted attributes that a lot of these quarterbacks do. Like Love has the arm strength. He doesn't. I heard though he is one of the the smartest quarterbacks in this draft class. So I think the the main thing from that would be developing his game more than not like developing like the knowledge. Because I I heard he definitely already has the knowledge. Yeah, no, he's definitely a smart dude. I don't know if you ever watched QB1 on Netflix, but I'm a little biased. He was on season, uh, I think it was season two, where basically they follow around a high school. They follow around, like, top high school quarterback prospects their senior year. And he was just 
you could tell he knew how to be a quarterback. You know what I mean? He was just smart. He was just stuck on a bad team, so they, they didn't go too far in the playoffs. But, yeah, I'm totally on the Fromm train, and I 100% threw money down on Mitch Trubisky starting opening day because he was plus 225. <laughs> Nick Foles is minus 300, and I just didn't feel like taking the favorite. So yeah. I, threw on, I threw on Big Dick Mitch. Yeah. That that Packers draft was definitely definitely interesting, especially since, like you said, they needed a wide receiver, and they they decided to go with uh, with Jordan Love. I am not. I would be lying to you if I said I didn't tear up at the opening montage of the NFL draft this year, like between the national anthem and then like all the shout out to the workers and like showing that football will be back. Like I was like, damn, I miss like real world. Like this is the closest thing I have. Yeah. And then I got sad again, too, in it, because I remembered how dope the draft was supposed to be this year. They were going to be on the Bellagio River in Vegas with the boat, and, oh, man, that would have been sick. They have to do it again there next year. They have to. I need to see that. They better. 20, yeah, I heard uh, 2021 is Cleveland because they already had that set up, and then they awarded Vegas 2022 since their theirs got canceled this year. So we Oh, my God. Why do we got to go to Cleveland? No one, wants to go on, no one wants to go on vacation to Cleveland. So yeah, what was your take on like the virtual draft? I mean, they did the best they could with like what they were doing, but I swear to God, every time someone got drafted, every time, well, he didn't have a mother, and he was in a car <laughs> accident, and his dog ran away, and this—it was just like not every kid is a sob story. That's <laughs> just not how it is. Yeah, you just got to bring the bring the positives out. Yeah, they, that was the only part that rubbed me the wrong way because it just felt like they were doing it for everyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I overall liked the, like the virtual draft. I, I especially liked the parts, like you said, where they're, like, thanking the – like, each team's, like, from, like, the cities, like, thanking, like, the healthcare workers and, like, all the, like, essential people. Right. And it just, just gets, like, that little, like, real-life touch, realistic touch since, like, that's all we pretty much got right now. Right. Bringing it back to that, like you said, real emotion, pulling on emotion is good to do. Like, yeah. remember that everyone's human. And then, I don't know if you guys saw, but Goodell had an auction the other day to yes. to watch an NFL game with him in the ba- in his oh, man cave. Man. And Davey Portnoy won it, his number one enemy. This is going to be... I cannot believe he actually won. That is going to be content through the roof. Like, that's if he live streams it, that is going to be like one of the most watched live stream things that, that month easily. Did you, did you see what he was wearing in his emergency press conference? He's got yep. the fire Goodell hat on and, and then he, he has and the then clown he's, shirt. He's got the Goodell clown shirt on. I'm like, this man really won that auction. It was great. I mean, the fact that he paid like a quarter of a million dollars for this just shows how much like he knows this is going to make money back. It was beautiful. You know, he's going to wear that too. when he shows up without a doubt. If he does, he's a legend. <laughs> that I can't wait till that live stream. It's gonna be so much, so much fun. Oh, golden, golden. I had two more, just I guess, general questions for you about the Packers draft. Uh, obviously, they they were supposed to pick thirtieth, but they moved up to twenty sixth to get Love, um, and then the whole hoopla surrounding that. You obviously wanted them to take a receiver. I thought they were going either that route or dif- uh, defense. I think I said a linebacker in our episode, Jack. Which receiver would you 
which receiver did you want them to take at that point who was still out there? And another question regarding Jordan Love, the draft. Do you think Aaron Rodgers will finish his career in a Packers uniform? Um, I'm going to answer Rodgers one first, just because I forgot the name of the receiver. So let me Google it first. Okay. But okay. I do not think anymore that Aaron Rodgers is going to finish his career as a Packer. And that partly goes with, obviously, the Jordan Love thing. That definitely rubbed him the wrong way. And I think his next contract, like whatever he has left on this contract, that's going to be it. And secondly, I think he's going to have a pretty lengthy career. Maybe not as long as Tom Brady, but definitely like that length. And I don't see any team signing a long term after a certain age. So I don't see the pa- – the pa- I mean, and it just comes with – the blueprint, right? They let Brett Favre walk when he wanted to come back. Like once they groom Jordan Love to where they want to groom him, they'll say peace. So, I mean, it sucks, but now it's almost like, all right, we have to win now mode because that's it. Um, as far as receivers, though, I don't know why I blanked on him, but I found him now. I wanted T. Higgins from Clemson. I think he's a dog. That's, I think he would have been perfect for the Packers. That was the one that I was thinking too, because he went Cincinnati took him right mm-hmm. off the right away in the second round. Because I mean, he had a good year at Clemson, good career. I mean, yeah, you have Trevor Lawrence throwing you the ball, but still, I don't know. I was a fan. I would never forget when I heard Jordan Love, and I was like, "What the fuck, Jordan Love?" <laughs> yeah, that was that was, a, that was one interesting pick. But, hey, we'll see. If, you know what? I look at it as hopefully one day this will bite me in the ass and Jordan Love is going to take the Packers to a Super Bowl and I'm going to come back to this episode and listen to myself. And I'll be like, well, I guess you proved me wrong. Um, what, time will only, only tell, though. But it will definitely be interesting. Big facts. Yeah, so is there any other questions or comments about any of this that you want to bring up? Uh, no, I'm pretty good right now. Like I said, main thing is I just hope the MLB comes back. That's my go-to sport. I'm just ready for baseball. And, uh, hopefully this 82 season work out. Yeah. Tyler, do you have anything? No, I think I got everything. Yeah, I, th- I think I covered everything. So, uh, Gino, thank you so much for coming on. It was a, it was a blast. We got the DJ Gino G, Gino Faso in the in the show so a blast couldn't have asked for anything more so thank you thank you fellas it's been a pleasure coming on and uh hopefully next time we chit chat down the road sports will be rolling and i'll definitely get into some hot topics with you boys definitely you're you're definitely gonna come back on soon bless bless thank you again yeah